0: This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash e-m.
1: How can we measure the value of a city?
2: We can count its gross domestic product.
1: For London, that's around £500 billion. For the surrounding region, it's more like a trillion.
2: We can count the number of people it's home to.
1: A bit under 9 million in London.
2: Or how much tax the city pays to central government.
1: Around £50 billion in income tax.
2: But many of the things that make a city great are much harder to measure.
1: We could count the number of theatres and museums, gig venues and football stadiums, perhaps.
2: And there would be hundreds of these cultural landmarks.
1: But even that would fail to account for the way cities breed innovation and creativity.
2: That comes from interactions between people and places.
1: From the ability to do your own thing in the anonymity of a crowd.
2: Or to find others to work or collaborate with.
1: Underlying all of this is a city's diversity.
2: The same place that can lure the rich with bottles of Petrus and gold-plated steaks
1: must also be home to those who clean offices, drive taxis and bring plates to tables.
2: We can measure a city's failures too.
1: We can count the unhoused.
2: Around 10,000 sleep rough in London each night.
1: Or the number of people lying in temporary accommodation.
2: …around 170,000, of whom around 80,000 are children.
1: And we can think of a city's value in another way.
2: We can see it as the sum of all the work and money that has gone into building it.
1: And of the carbon embodied in its buildings.
2: We can see this as a great store of value.
1: And when we decide to build again, we can calculate the costs associated with those decisions.
2: We can measure how many tonnes of concrete and steel will be needed.
1: How many hours of labour and how many miles of transport will be needed.
2: And those will let us work out the carbon impact of our decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Rean Owen.
2: And I'm Johnny Dowling.
1: This week, we're looking at a small corner of London. We'll see how the city's housing crisis plays out in the area and how locals are using whole-life carbon assessment to propose new ways of meeting housing needs.
2: Today, Camden is perhaps best known for its music and fashion scene. In the streets around Camden Lock, Generations of young people have for decades congregated to buy T-shirts and records or to spend their evenings in clubs and bars.
1: The canal runs from the Thames through the Limehouse Tunnel to Paddington, where it joins the Grand Union, linking London with England's second-largest city, Birmingham. The area was once at the heart of the country's canal and rail routes. The market that is now a playground was once at the heart of the UK's and the British Empire's trade networks.
2: Those long-distance links might not be so important now, but the area is still well-served by transport. Buses, overground trains and tubes connect it to the heart of the city and to the suburbs. To be
0: able to live even more centrally in NW5, um, or Kentish Town as I knew it, was, was you know just a, a no-brainer for me. I can walk to Lord's Cricket Ground because I'm a Middlesex supporter. I've got London Zoo, I've got Primrose Hill, I've got Regent's Park. I've got the Green Note music venue in Parkway in Camden. I've got really good links into the centre of London if I want it.
2: Andrew Dow is a member of the West Kentish Town Estate. He spent his youth in the area, left for many years, but then felt pulled back in later life. He liked the area so much that he decided to buy a lease to one of the flats. Most of his neighbours are social housing tenants.
1: The estate he lives on is tucked away on the Victorian residential streets, some way north of the market.
0: The beauty about these blocks is that when you walk up Grafton Road, they do not look ostensibly like a local authority estate. There's lots of green spaces, there's lots of pathways, there's steps, there's lawns, there's even a couple of courtyards with some concrete benches on them.
2: The estate does not stand apart from the neighbouring streets. Its residents are part of the same community as the homeowners and private renters around them.
0: The approach and the aspect is very gradual. They're all low-rise. There's people walking around very freely. It's very quiet. Um, There's a lot of trees. There's a lot of greenery around.
1: Many of his neighbours have spent their lives there.
0: This estate is 316-odd uh, flats. There's a lot of people who have raised their children here to the extent their children are now adult or nearing adulthood.
2: And those lifelong neighbours have made their estate their own, creating their own spaces for community.
0: On the Allcroft Road side of the estate, they've got a lovely courtyard which... Um, is sheltered from the road by a fairly big raised flower bed, and then they've got the courtyard inside, and they've they've got a trampoline there. I even saw yesterday they had a kid's paddling pool there for kids to splash around in, and one of the residents there told me that it's such a, a secure area that during lockdown. They were able to operate in their own little bubbles there and ensure that everybody had their, their breathing space, their fresh air, their exercise times. and they, 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 mon- they managed that entirely themselves.
1: But the estate has its problems. The most obvious is that there simply aren't enough homes there for families or for young people.
2: That was one issue that the local council needed to address as it developed its plans for the future of the estate.
0: One of the things that tenants were very concerned about was securing a future for their children. And so they, they were absolutely insistent that the plans include provision for adult children.
1: And even for those who can find a home here, many still live in dire conditions.
0: We had the overcrowding, we had the damp, we had the mould and we had um, the, the, water, the leaks. Tenants wanted to get those fixed.
2: Camden Council developed a series of options for the estate, but by the time they came to a public consultation and ballot of residents, only two options remained.
1: Demolish the estate and rebuild.
2: Or do nothing.
0: When they asked us to vote, the the options were complete knockdown and, and rebuild regeneration, or no. By that time, Camden had said there's no money for refurbishment, and we we trusted them.
1: Presented with those options, residents voted overwhelmingly in support of Camden's plans.
2: These would see the low-level housing of the estate replaced with tower blocks. Most of these would be sold privately, with the proceeds being used to replace social housing lost in the demolition. The whole process would stretch well into the 2030s.
1: Those residents who are worried about where their children might be able to live locally could well be worrying about their grandchildren's prospects by the time the work is finished.
2: The proposal grabbed the attention of another Camden resident, architect Alice Brown.
3: As an architect, I've been very exercised about the implications of climate change and resource depletion. I'm a member of ACAN. Architects Climate Action Network, uh, where we're all sort of trying to focus on embodied carbon uh, and operational carbon resource management in the construction industry with a view to reducing carbon emissions. Because I live near to this estate, when I saw that it was coming up for redevelopment, I I took an interest in it. And I was disappointed not to see retrofit being looked at as part of the feasibility study. And that is what really inspired me to apply for the research grant from the RIBA to look at what might an estate regeneration project look like if you were really prioritising embodied carbon and also biodiversity at the same time as trying to meet the needs of the residents of the estate. Camden's proposals for the estate
1: contrast with local authorities' approaches to housing needs in the 1960s.
2: As we saw in episode 236, when we looked at the use of rack, this was an era of rapid construction, using novel building materials and techniques.
3: It's interesting to look back at that time when there was widespread clearance of 19th century buildings uh, in order to build modern estates and deal with slum conditions. The whole of West Kentish town was divided up uh, for demolition and rebuilding. And that went on throughout the 1960s and 70s, which means that West Kentish Town and have a very high proportion of social housing in and amongst the remaining 19th century houses. But looking back to, in in the early 1960s, this, this area had been prioritised for demolition rebuild because the slum conditions, you know, because the conditions were very bad. And the reason they were bad was that the terraced houses were had been planned in a way that they were practically back to backs. They were sort of so squashed together that they had very kind of poor daylighting and insanitary conditions. So this area was one of the first to be redeveloped by what was then uh, Pancras, uh, St Pancras Borough Council. They developed a number of schemes actually, and, and um, eventually they plumped for this. Precast concrete panel system in order to try and get it built as quickly as possible. So it took three years to demolish and rebuild the estate. And they used a system called REMA, a uh, hollow panel system, which they'd used further north in the borough a few years earlier.
2: Alan Dunsmore is a structural engineer and director of Connisby, based in the neighbouring borough of Islington.
1: His firm worked with Alice to investigate alternatives to the estate's demolition.
4: Precast concrete panel systems have been around since really the turn of the century, um, but they were used extensively in the post-war era um, for housing, um, and a lot of the the current estates were built using them. And the idea was to speed up construction and minimise the use of materials. There was a material shortage at the time, so it was all about efficiency. And so at that time it was mainly... An e- economical need and um, a housing need that, that drove the use of the the precast systems, um, and they were used extensively um, for for by local authorities and by some uh, private developers as well, um, for rebuilding the you know the, the housing in the post-war era. The system at West Kentish Town there, there will be a stair core um, for for accessing the the flats, but the um, the structure is is formed by all of the walls Um, so um, the panels would have the dividing walls between flats will be load-bearing panels the external walls will also be load-bearing panels and they'll be fixed back to a core Um, but the the overall uh, panel system is providing the vertical load-bearing element and the stability
2: one of the aims of Alice's plan was to meet the needs of larger families
1: As built, the low-rise blocks on the estate mainly consisted of one- and two-bed flats.
2: And because the internal walls all formed part of the building's structural support, these could not easily be reconfigured.
1: The flats were built to a modernist vision of novel architecture, nestling amongst communal landscaped areas.
2: But there had been little thought given to residents' need for their own outside space.
1: And years of underinvestment in maintenance have left many in a poor condition
3: but has no external balconies or no direct access to external space from flats at ground level. There were some structural issues, and are some structural issues, to do with the planning of the estate, um, it being a sort of modernist layout. There isn't very good definition between private and public space. By the 1980s, you know, there were problems of condensation and mould, and residents were calling for this to be addressed and the council actually undertook a fairly extensive refurbishment project involving putting 50 mil of external insulation on the walls and covering it with render and hanging tiles, which completely changed the visual appearance of the estate. But it was a partial solution. They didn't insulate the roofs or the ground slab. So they did renew renew the roof covering at that time, but that was 40 years ago. So now you've got a leaking roof and no, no roof insulation. These things can be sold through retrofit. You know, insulation can be added, ventilation can be added, and, and uh, you know, you can have, you can create a healthy internal environment in these units.
2: To give residents more space and their own access to the outside, Alice would need to find a way to work around those structural panels and the modular layout of the flats
3: one of the limiting factors of the module that was used is that you can't really make a module any larger <laughs> because that's the structure of the building. So we have to work with the existing flat sizes. And most of the flats, at least, I mean, it's nearly 70% of the flats are two-bedroom. And actually, they're not really large enough to be two-bedroom, four-person flats. A lot of these units are being lived in far, far above the occupancy that they should have.
1: Alice wanted to find a way to fix the issues of the estate without the need for a full demolition.
2: And she wanted to show that this could achieve substantial carbon savings.
3: We took the decision to focus on embodied carbon and not look at operational carbon because we assumed that the operational carbon issues could be dealt with as as you would deal with it in any redevelopment. We were helped by the fact that Camden had commissioned a structural Report on the estate in two thousand and seventeen, uh, looking into the structural condition of the of the buildings, and that showed that they were not in a poor condition. They were in an average condition for their age, and they were suitable for refurbishment. And the engineers, the 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 people who wrote the report, went on to say that the three-story blocks would probably be suitable for an extra story to be added to them. They also recommended additional tests of the concrete and also um, exploration of the existing foundations.
1: Alice used the RICS Whole Life Carbon Assessment, or WLCA, to compare her proposals with those of the council.
3: We started by analysing the existing structure very carefully, measuring it so that we could calculate the volume of materials, the weight of materials, and then use carbon factors to determine what the existing embodied carbon of the materials on the site was. We used the, the RICS methodology, and we've calculated embodied carbon on the basis of modules A1 to A3. So that is basically the uh, carbon emissions resulting from mining and extraction, manufacture, uh, uh, transport of those materials to factories and manufacture of the materials themselves.
2: The proposal wouldn't just reduce the need for new building. It would also recycle materials from the existing structure.
3: When we were looking at a possible retrofit design, we wanted to reuse as much of the existing material from the site and also to use low embodied natural materials wherever possible for the construction. So we have based our, our calculations on that. The amount of existing material that's retained in our scheme, 63% of the embodied carbon of the existing buildings is retained. Um, and 8% of the embodied carbon is reused. And that, that is mostly things like paving slabs, the clay tiles that currently clad the building. We want to reuse those to avoid that waste. With our scheme, Most of the external works and the infrastructure of the site stay as they are. You know, roads are not dug up. Existing drainage doesn't have to be rerouted. There are no basements. Most of the retaining walls on the site are retained. Um, So that is a huge benefit in carbon terms from keeping that site conditions rather than having to sort of do a major reconfiguration of all the infrastructure. And this resulted in astonishing carbon reductions. Coming back to the comparison with the proposed new build, we, we've used standard benchmark rates to estimate what the embodied carbon would be, and it is significantly more. So, with the retrofit and it's an extension of the of the uh, additional stories on the three-story blocks, that that comes to a total of nine thousand five hundred and fifty tons. We've also included the embodied carbon of the new build in field development that would be necessary to make this a deliverable uh, scheme. And that is a a further um, 5,000 tonnes, 5,250. So that gives us a total of nearly 15,000 tonnes. If you compare that with with what um, the new build, uh, demolition and new build, that's looking like it's gonna be around 80,000 tonnes. So that is five times greater.
2: But those structural panels were still an obstacle. Alice worked with Conisby to assess how they might be modified to give the internal and external space residents wanted without impacting the structural integrity of the building.
3: When we looked at the retrofit scheme, we thought, how can we you know, provide larger uh, flat sizes? Um, and really the only way you can do it with the existing is by adding two units together because you can't reconfigure the structure, but you can join two units together. We turned some of the two-bedroom flats into one-bedroom flats, and other bedroom two-bedroom flats into two-bedroom, three-person flats. But the, in order to provide larger family homes, we had to really build new, new units, and that is done in two ways, one of which is on top of the existing three-storeys, but also we, we have to provide some infill uh, development to provide the three-bedroom flats that we need for families.
2: That would allow for a better mix of flat sizes.
3: One of the things is providing external space for each flat. So we looked with Connersby at how much of the existing panel system could be cut out and removed without affecting the structure. And that is that, that was something that we, we looked at in some detail and, and does work. So we have external balcony structures for the upper floors and ground floor level and opening directly into the space outside the flats. So that creates a, a buffer area of private external space.
4: So we looked at the feasibility of extending the buildings upward, uh, the feasibility of adapting the, and altering the internal layout, so um, adapting the panels. Um, and also the also the feasibility of um, the infill sites as well, and how they could be constructed, and they were the key sort of elements of our input.
3: We don't modify the panels any more than we have to, because they are part of the structure. So the modifications are mainly for the purpose of gaining access to the outside, and also for joining two flat units together.
1: Panel systems became a cause of concern in 1968, with the partial collapse of Ronan Point in Newham, in the East End.
2: A gas explosion in the lower floor caused the panels above to fail. Four people were killed and 17 were injured.
1: But these weaknesses are not inherent to the system or even to the design of Ronan Point.
2: Instead, the failure came down to how the panels had been installed. They had not been tied in properly to the buildings. And if Alice's proposal was to be adopted by the council, more intensive investigation would be needed to confirm the conditions of the ties.
4: The typical concerns are how well tied they are. Um, so that, that's a, a key issue. Um, and how you know how well tied each panel is vertically and horizontally um, and tied back to the floors. We've done some limited checks and uh, the... At the minute, it would need to be, we didn't do any major opening up works. If the, the structure was tied as it should have been, um, it would certainly be a, a valid, the, the structure would be valid for a, a retrofit and, and reuse. If the, that project went ahead, the first part of it would be the feasibility and checking that those ties are in place. Alan's initial investigation supports
2: Alice's proposal for the estate
1: The panels could be cut to add balconies and access to contained external spaces.
2: And the structure as a whole could support additional floors needed for larger family homes.
1: A retrofit scheme could make a huge impact on carbon emissions.
2: And once Alice started developing her proposal, it was clear that there would be other benefits to her approach.
1: Like Camden's proposal, Alice's alternative would require phasing. It wouldn't be possible today to rebuild at the same pace of those post-war housing developments.
3: You can't empty the whole estate and do it all at once. It has to be done in in a phased way. And this is in fact what Camden are proposing to do with the demolition and new build. Their, Their scheme is due to take 20 years. The current end date is 2043. Um, which is a huge disruption to the whole area over a protracted period of time of heavy construction, heavy demolition, and heavy construction. With the retrofit scheme, everything is a lighter touch. There's much less disruption to people's lives and the general area. And, and the whole thing can be, once you've got run it once, you can roll it out much more quickly uh, and get it done within half the time at least. So that is a social benefit to people who need new homes now. People are much less likely to move off the estate if they can see they're going to get a new home within a few years. If you're being told that your new home is not going to be delivered for another 20 years, you're going to probably try and find an alternative place to live. One example of this lighter touch approach is Alice's plan to
1: reuse tiles from the existing buildings in the insulation needed for the retrofit.
3: The tiles are a way of reusing that existing material but also lending the whole scheme a sort of sense of familiarity so you know you're not completely throwing out the history of the site and people's association of the with their homes. We would want to reuse them for cladding the uh, external insulation which would be very deep. Uh, We've looked at you know putting a sort of 300 millimetre thick externally insulated uh, cladding on the building That could actually be done as prefabricated panels or it could be built on site. It probably does mean you have to be more careful with the demolition process, but I would say, you know, the the demolition uh, phase is gonna be a lot less disruptive than what would be required if you're demolishing the whole building. We're really, you know, stripping the existing cladding off the building Uh, and keeping the structure, being careful not to damage the existing structure. Um, So it's more a question of dismantling rather than demolition.
2: As well as resolving issues with damp, this could also provide an opportunity to bring long-term jobs to the local community.
3: It does involve removing all the internal partitions, kitchens, finishes and fittings, and bathrooms, and reconfiguring them with new construction. So that would have to be done on site... So those jobs, uh, air tightness, uh, ventilation systems, air source heat pumps, the installation of all that could provide local labour and apprenticeship possibilities.
1: As Andrew notes, part of the charm of the current estate is its green setting.
3: When the estate was built, these buildings were sort of set in a landscape that was completely open. So anyone can walk around the external spaces. They obviously had this view that it would be a beautiful landscape setting with these modern buildings in it. And the whole estate was planted up with the help of the Civic Trust, actually, uh, which is why it's got fantastic trees on it. It's got several A-grade trees. There's 120 trees altogether, either on the estate or very close to it. 60% are good quality trees that definitely should be retained. We try to keep all the trees uh, for, for the benefits that trees provide for shading, pollution removal. There's so many benefits of having trees, and it's something that residents have consistently said they like about the estate. This is, of
2: course, a planned grass and trees monoculture, without the biodiversity of a natural woodland. But it does give residents access to green space in a dense urban environment.
1: Alice's proposal would retain much of this setting and more clearly demarcate private, communal and public spaces.
3: After it was built, they realised that just having these buildings in a green landscape was not going to work because of people just going up to people's windows and being able to look in. So they put these fences all the way around the existing blocks about, you know, about 1.5 metres away from the buildings. But there's, there's no access from the flats into these spaces. You can only get to them by going outside the flat and then using a little gate. So there was no attempt to restructure the external space further to that initial, you know, erecting of railings. And we've looked at this in some detail, and it's not that difficult to restructure this space to provide shared, secure, external space for individual blocks. And part of our scheme actually involves removing the studio flats at ground floor to create a direct access from the staircases to these secure courtyards that then could be accessed by children without them having to go out into the street.
2: While Alice's proposal offers an alternative to Camden's plans and could form part of a challenge to them during the planning process, it is primarily a research project.
1: It aims to show that the panel systems used on these estates are not an obstacle to retrofit.
3: We wanted to test the assumptions that you know this type of estate can't be retrofitted, which seems to be the... Um, the starting position for many local authorities and housing associations, that they're just a lost cause, that there's no value in the existing fabric, um, that they, they, they're not suitable for attention, and that the maintenance issues are just too great, and that the planning issues can't be overcome in terms of urban design. So those are the things we've tried to address.
2: There's a lot of estates like this across London and the UK as a whole.
3: In London, I think it's nearly 200. It, it's a very large number. And in Camden, just up the road, there's another one due to be demolished and rebuilt after this one. So it's the stock way of doing things. And I think there's a growing realisation amongst the profession and the housing uh, sector that actually it's not delivering the best outcome for people. And it's certainly not delivering the best outcome in terms of carbon emissions. So there has to be a way of working a bit harder (laughs) to to realise the benefits on both of those fronts. We've shown that it is possible and we need to present that in a very clear way. So the benefits of a retrofit scheme would be the saving in embodied carbon, which would be massive.
1: Alice's research used the RICS Whole Life Carbon Assessment to compare retrofit with demolition and rebuild architects and engineers are developing other tools to support a carbon efficient approach to building.
4: So it's called structural carbon rating system, which has been developed at the moment by the Institute of Structural Engineers. Um, And we basically give, there's there's different uh, bands of embodied carbon per square meter. And uh, they're rated A down to G at the moment. We're finding uh, embodied carbon is a really, uh, the measurement of it is a really powerful tool in sort of early stage evaluation. So we look at you know options for maybe you know keeping the refurb of an existing building, and then if, if we're looking at a new build, um, look at different material options, different span options, and producing a, a rating for those buildings. Cities around the world struggle with meeting
2: housing demand. Local authorities must balance limited budgets and building new housing that can be sold commercially offers a way to fund these projects.
1: But this approach is not always responsive to the needs of communities. Demolition and rebuilding can take decades to complete and still not offer the right mix of flat sizes.
2: At the same time, these projects make significant impacts on carbon emissions.
1: With the tools now being developed to standardise and simplify carbon assessment, architects and engineers can weigh these impacts. These can then be used by developers and planners to compare retrofit and rebuild proposals.
2: And that may allow us to give communities the housing they need while limiting construction's impact on climate change. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Will North and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Ryan Owen. Editing and series supervision by John Young. Sound engineering by Ross McPherson. And the standard setter for all our output is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.